In the late 60s and 70s, the Jesus Movement, an evangelical Christian movement stemming from the West Coast, attracted many American youth. Viewing most Christians in America and around the world as apostate and uncommitted, the movement espoused conservative Christianity, communal living, and a tendency toward asceticism and authoritarianism. Kip McKean, a young convert in the late 70s, declared American Christianity still not restored to the original first century church. By 1979, Kip had gathered a small group of followers into what became the Boston Movement and cut off ties with mainline Christianity. With expectations of members' total commitment and a pyramid-like control structure, the group exploded into tens of thousands around the world. By 1992, then known as the International Church of Christ, or ICOC for short, they garnered the title of the fastest growing church in the world by Christian media and even Time Magazine. Whispers of cult-like practices and abuses grew to shouts by the early 2000s, and Kip McKean was deposed as the group's leader. In 2003, the viral email, Honest to God, by a top leader in England, sent the group into a tailspin. Yet, multiple factions remain to this day. Kip McKean garnered his most loyal to create the International Christian Church, also known as Sold Out Discipling Movement, along with his self-created school, International Christian Ministries, returning him to lead with the totalist views and authoritarian structures of origin. Thousands of individuals, like myself, have left but are still reeling from the emotional, psychological, and financial impact, and in some cases, deeper abuses. Those leaving are trying to grapple with the aftermaths of escaping a high-control cult. Sold Out Cult Podcast is a podcast for these individuals to speak up, support others, and warn the public. Welcome, Macy Carter. I'm Stacey Aviva Flint, creator of Sold Out Cult Podcast. Like you, I was uh, a member of the International Churches of Christ from 1986 into 2004. So from ages 16 to 34, I went through the teen ministry, campus ministry, singles ministry, and married ministry and was a foreign and domestic church planter. Um, And I've created this podcast to um, talk to others like myself who have been very hurt and traumatized in the uh, International Churches of Christ, ICLC, and different names. But I wanted to talk to you today to talk about something very close to both of our hearts, which I believe is um, mental health um, and the deceptive tactics of the ICOC and um, 
heaven forbid, if you do not fit in to their um, their WASP um, um, puritanical culture, um, and as you share, um, you're a member of the LGBTQ community and being in that group, that was one of the biggest sins um, was to be different in your orientation. So um, I just want to let you know you're beautiful and you're brave. And I'm so honored to speak with you today. Yeah. Um, Macy, tell me how you... Your mic cut out for a second. Sorry. Tell me how you got into the ICOC. Okay. So I feel like it's a very typical start from my knowledge of the ICOC. I was reached out to on campus my first week in campus. Um, so as I was an Alpha Omega student, as people say, it was literally my first week in college. Um and I grew up in a very like non-traditional household. Like, like religion wasn't pushed. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Baptist, but they raised me and my siblings non-denominational and they let us be like as free as we wanted to. Um, so I didn't really have any like religious like preferences. And I was reached out to five times um, that first week in college. And I was very like, I did not want any a part of like any part of it. Well, when you say reach out because you yeah so organization what does that mean they people literally come up to you and they're like hi my name like for i'll use my name like hi my name because i had to do it once i was like initiated in hi my name is macy carter um i'm part of alpha omega we're having this event uh, for welcome week we would love for you to come and join us and they would say they're part of a like a christian group called alpha omega and I, that happened to me five different times from five different people. And I was just very against it. The only reason I went, it was the last night that you're doing it. Um, one of my friends got reached out to. And she's like, you should come with me. I was like, I guess so. She was the only friend I had at college. We went, we're from the same hometown. Um, and she's the only reason I went. And that night they asked me to start coming out to Bible talks, which are small little groups that they meet, they make uh, within their disciples and their like group members um, to basically like get people to start studying the Bible. And I think they actually asked me to start studying the Bible that night as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when it all began was one Friday night back in like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I started going out to Bible talks and I started studying the Bible with them. And so when I thought they were studying, they said studying the Bible, I thought it was going to be like, you know, like a little group of us, like some girls hanging out, like over coffee, like, oh, like, let's read these scriptures, you know, like how you see on like TV and like with your, like, if you had like some religious friends growing up, how like they would do it like before school, after school type thing. No, like this was like targeted towards me. They're like, tell me about your relationship with God. Like, I want to know what it was like for you growing up. Like, where do you stand with God? How do you view this? And how do you view the Bible? How do you read your Bible? And I was, I was like, what are you saying? And from somebody who, like I said, I don't, at that time, I had like no religious preferences. Like I believed in the Christian God at the time. And I... I was very naive. I'll say that. I was very naive. 
And like, I wanted to believe in something higher than myself. And so it was just very like, I would say manipulative with the studies or when they're someone's telling you like, oh, this is what the Bible's saying. Like, I'm going to use this scripture and tell you like, this is what it's saying of what you should do. Mm. So you're, begins it starts to be an interrogation yes it starts like they start with your they want your whole life story by like the fifth bible study the fifth or sixth bible because it's a 12-part series and when i studied so there's 12 bible studies that are pre-written and then they add additional studies they're called character studies and those studies are written specifically for the person studying um and so by like the fifth, sixth study, they've expected the individual that they've targeted the study of the Bible to have tell, like told you their whole life story. Like, oh, like for me, like I, they expected me to tell them like, oh, I didn't grow up like super religious. At this time, this I identified as bisexual. I didn't identify as a lesbian. I'm sorry for my dog barking. He, he's a little puppy. He acts a mess. Um, they expected my whole, like I said, my whole background. And I was like, I don't know you. Like, I don't even tell like my friends this stuff, but it's like the way they would word it. They're like, God wants us to help you do this. Like he wants us to help strengthen your relationship. And I can't do that if you're not honest with me about this part of your life. And so when somebody, if you have somebody sitting across from you, who's like, I do want like a, like a relationship with a higher power. I do want to have this. And like, I want to go to heaven one of these days. I want to go to the good place. Like they, they take full swing of that. And they're like, okay, I'm going to run with it. Like I'm going to take this person and I'm going to indoctrinate them. I'm going to, I'm going to do that with this person. And I was one of those people, like, I wanted that relationship. And I was very closed off at the beginning. I was like, I don't know who the heck these people are. First off, I was part of a region where we had to drive an hour to get to the church on Sundays. And so the first time I went to church, I thought they were taking me to kill me because I was like, who drives an hour to go to church every Sunday? Um, but we had to be there because if you were at church on Sunday, you're getting a phone call or a text message saying, where are you? Because God expects you to be at church with your people and fellowshipping because that's what the Bible tells you to do. If you're not there, then you're sinning and you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then someone could be. Exactly. Um, and don't if you're if you have any excuse why you're not there, it's a whole it's a whole mess. you felt like there was interrogation and there was some deception. Give me an example of a time when you felt like they, the question. Can you repeat your question, please? Your mic is cutting out again. I think I'm going to turn my camera off. So yeah, I'm going to do the same. We have some better Wi-Fi. Can you repeat your question, please? Can you hear me, Stacy? That you would say was deceptive. Deceptive. Um, so one of the, so I was trying to get, I guess when I was like in one of my earlier studies, 
I was trying to get their standpoint on how they viewed the LGBTQ community because I, like I said, at this time, that's when I identified as bisexual. Um, and so I brought up how I have an aunt who's very loving and she's a lesbian and she's Christian. I was like, he's been like a big inspiration in my life. Um, and all this stuff, like, like reading, I was saying all these good things about her. Um, and then they were like, well, how do you think God views her, Macy? How do you think, like, you say she's a good Christian, but she's living her life in sin. What does the Bible say about that? And I'm over here. I'm like, well, the Bible says to love one another. Like, that's the greatest commandments, you know, love God and love each other. And they're like, well, she's living in sin. Can you really love God and love each other if you're living in sin? So it's like they took everything I just said and turned it around. Mm. and I was like y'all just and at that point I was very I was just very confused mm. I like I didn't know what to say or argue against it I was just I just didn't say anything at all mm. yeah that is that popular used technique of questioning you and the way or said something differently that it was not going to be approved of. Mm -hmm. And there's so many times like that, like um, one time even after I got baptized, and this is like way long ago, I had to, my dad, he got, he owns his own business um, and like I said, I'm baptized at this point. So I'm like, I'm initiated in quote unquote. Right. Right. That's like the official initiation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he got really sick and he needed, he owns his own catering business and he needed some help. He had like some big events going on that week that he couldn't cancel. And so I went home to go help him. And I missed a midweek service. And like I said, you don't miss events. You don't miss church. You don't miss midweek. You don't miss Bible talks. You don't miss, you don't miss anything. Um, my phone was getting blown up left and right. Where are you? Where are you? And then I come back and I see, we'll get to this later, our conversation with like discipling, like discipling and everything. Cause I had, that had a big part in like my mental health and the rest of my story. But um, my discipler set me down and they're like, what do you think was important in this situation? You really think like your dad could have had somebody else help him. Like he has his own business. He could have had somebody else. He could have found somebody. And you decided to miss time with God and God's people, people who are going to God's kingdom to go help somebody who isn't in God's kingdom. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I know that I've heard this so many times before, but my gosh, my heart is just, my heart is just breaking. I haven't heard this. For complete strangers to come to you and tell you that your decision to go and help your father, and then they insinuate that he's not a Christian or loved by God. How did that make you feel? It made me feel horrible because 
my dad is one of the most influential people in my life. Like I'm a daddy's girl all the way. Like he hung the moon for me. Um, he, I love that man to the ends of the earth. And for that time, like during my Bible studies, they always told me like my family wasn't Christian. Like they weren't true disciples of God. And I, it was my mission to go and invite them out to church and make them disciples of God. Like that was my mission as a mm -hmm. disciple. But to hear them worded like that, like I had to make a choice between my family and quote unquote God's people. It made me question everything. I was like, there's so much deception there because if you read the Bible, we're all God's children. We're all God's people, but you're making it now. You're now is you are making the rules like this is not this. It doesn't line up anymore. The, there was no nothing there that made sense and it was painful like I remember I left that conversation and I was so I was mad I was so mad um it was and I think that's when things started and this was really early on into my discipleship and I think that's when when the first things like clicked in my head like okay something's wrong like this is not okay like I should not have to make a choice between my father and these people like this isn't okay and then like i said it was two years of decisions like like decisions of like i remember the following year for my dad's birthday i got in trouble or rebuked i saying trouble same it's the same thing let's be honest when you get rebuked you're getting in trouble um for going home for my dad's birthday without asking for permission how old were you at this time? I'm a 20-year-old woman. I am 20 years old. And I'm going home for my dad's 45th birthday. And they, they were like, it was like a like Saturday night. And they're like, you think you should have gotten advice? Like, do you think this was smart to go home in like the middle of like the semester to go celebrate your dad's birthday? And, I re and I'm at the point now where I was so done with all the crap and I was, they labeled me as more as a problem at this point. Um, a problem I, because you were, you were maintaining relationships with your family. Yes. And I, and I was asking the hard, I was asking the hard questions that nobody wanted to answer. I was raising conversations that nobody wanted to answer. Um, and so I was seen as reckless in my relationship with God by leadership. And so I remember answering, telling them that I did not care what they thought. Mm. I did not care what their advice was. I was going to go home for my father's birthday. And how was that received? Did you receive any pun punishment for that? So bad. I remember they're like, it was a whole like, oh, like you should respect me. I am your discipler. You need respect the advice that I give you. You, uh, you're just a young disciple. You're. I was two years into my walk as a disciple um, at this time, but it was basically it was a whole like, what I said was so hurtful and disrespectful to them. And it, every response back to me was so demeaning and it was just a whole bunch. I was basically, they're trying to make me feel like I was an idiot. 
Mm. And like, I was not worthy enough to make my own decisions. Like, oh I was incapable of it. And I think that is what aggravated me the most. And I saw through the most throughout my two years of being a disciple is that they get you to a point where they make you feel like you're not capable of making decisions on your own. Exactly. You are so right. And those decisions are the most intimate decisions that people make. The decisions about who to be friends with, who to date. Yes. Who to, you know, if it gets that far, who to marry. And then how much, and if at all, to be in relationship with your own family. Exactly. I have so many friends where their disciples and other people who are older than them, quote unquote, older than in them spiritual in spirituality, would get in the middle of their relationships with no question, like like they had a right to be in the middle of their relationships because like they, it was just I like I had one friend who was dating a boy who lived, we were for we they lived three hours away from each other in the leadership didn't like that because she wasn't dating a boy who lived within the same ministry as us. And they just, the leadership just inserted themselves into the relationship and just pushed and pushed this girl until they eventually pushed her out of that church. She moved to a different ICOC branch until she finally just moved to where this boy lived at his ICOC branch. And they did the same thing to another friend of mine. I was like, I just blew my mind. I was like, y'all are inputting yourselves in people's personal relationships where you don't belong over mm. small little petty things of like where people live because you are upset that they aren't dating someone within their own ministry. It just blew my mind. Yeah, it was, it was so... It was so hurtful because basically you were put into like this, this fence was put around you and you couldn't move outside that of that fence oh, with, no. without, without asking and how demeaning it is for a grown person. I mean, at this point you're in college, we're in college. We're not even asking our parents for where we go and what we do. And it come the level of control was even more than our parents had on our day-to-day lives when we were out of once we were out of the home. Yes. So what kind of what kind of what kind of impact did this have on you mentally and emotionally? You said you did this for two years. My mental health was a roller coaster. Um all throughout the course. Right when I first got baptized so when I was studying, it was okay. I kind of struggled there for a little bit. Um, right after I got, I was was studying, just because their studies are so demeaning in a way. Mm. It, like they're they're trying to force you into to like fit their standards and get you into the water as fast as they can. So I was having to do, like, my big thing that quote I quote-unquote struggled with was forgiveness. Mm. And so I 
had a really rough relationship with my mom growing up and they were making me feel horrible that I hadn't forgive her for my relation, like all the wrongdoing that she did in my life. Things years and years at this point, 18 years of a strugglesome relationship that they expected me to just forgive her for in a span of like six weeks. Mm. And then I was sexually assaulted when I was a young girl, when I was in my early teens. And they expected me to just forgive my assaulter, like I said, within that span of six weeks. And at this point, I had only told two people that I had been sexually assaulted in my entire life. My parents don't even know. Nobody knew at this time besides my two closest friends. Wow. Did you give that information to them? Yes. And they... What they did was when they found out, it was during the confession study that I felt like I was being like forced to confess that I was sexually assaulted as a sin, that that the, the fact that those words are leaving my mouth right now just blow my mind away. But that's what it felt like. I felt like I was being forced to admit as a sin that I was sexually assaulted. And then after that, they brought another girl into my study who was also sexually assaulted so that I could relate to her. And so she could help me move on in my forgiveness process. So there was nothing about helping you to heal from that. It was all about you giving forgiveness to the perpetrator. Exactly. How do I move on from this? How do I move on and forgive this person? How do I see past what he did to me and forgive him for the mistakes he made in my life? And as, like I said, at that point, I had only told two other people my entire life. And I told two strangers in my dorm room, sitting on my dorm room bed, crying my eyes out. And I told them, and then I, and a week later, they're like, okay, we need to do a character study on forgiveness, Macy. How can you forgive your mother for hurting you for all these years? How can you forgive this person for hurting you during this time in your life? And I'm over here like, I think you should be telling me I need to go to therapy or something. Like, luckily I took myself, but um, it was, there was no compassion for it. it was passion. Just- and it's, it's actually setting you up so that when they start to abuse you, the first thing that you try to do is look for your mistakes and how you can forgive them without ever... Exactly. You worded that perfectly. But it was just, that's exempt, like what we jumped into and there was nothing. Like every week, it was an update. It was no update on how have you been doing with this lately since you told me about it? How have you been? It was an update. Have you forgiven this person yet? How has your heart done with this? How has your heart been forgiving? And then the leader, our our female minister, who was the leader female minister, sat down and did a study with me about how forgiveness, how God forgives and how we can't get into the kingdom of heaven until we forgive. 
did that's you, all that matters. Did she know, did she, what, did she know this information about you? Yes. The girl who was leading my study went and told her this information about me. Without your permission. Without my permission. And, oh, I was upset. But at this time, I'm so wrapped up into the ignorance of it all into like, wow, like when we did the study, when the female minister did the study with me about forgiveness and how I can't get into the kingdom of heaven without forgiveness, we were at a campus retreat, which is supposed to be, you know, this blissful weekend away from school and whatnot. And so it's all crazy because I'm wrapped into like this huge love bombing thing where everybody around me is so like giving me these friendships I've always desired how Mm -hmm. everybody is like wanting to be my friend and loving me. And then everything that they're saying, I guess adds up with what the Bible says. Like they're pulling these scriptures, what they're saying makes sense with it. So I guess it makes sense. And so I just went along for the ride for the most part. Because I just want to get to the kingdom of heaven. And from what they're telling me, I'm not going to get there if I keep going the way I was going. And they knew more about the Bible than I did. Right. And then also, too, you're isolated in a in, a, yes. in an area. How far away from home is this camp or wherever you go? I was, I was from the camp, from the campus, I was away from college. I was two hours away from home. And like I said, my family wasn't big into religion growing up. And then from when we went to the retreat, we were like a good four hours away from my home. Right. You notice how. Well, no cell service. (laughs) Exactly. They always took us far away places where we were isolated. And, and a lot of these studies happened at night after you'd worked, after you'd worked all day, you'd been in school all day. And you have this group of people around you staring into your face and they're basically the way they talk to you is is that like you say it's very demeaning and it's like they're setting up the words for you to agree to agree with. It's exactly. not it's not to explain your position or how do you feel about this. It's basically this is the way it is, and if you don't agree to it, these are the consequences. And so it's a very vulnerable situation to be in. Like you said, you wanted those friendships. And all this information is coming at you so fast and quickly. You're four hours away from home. You can't even like take a break, talk to someone else and breathe and go, hmm, what do I think about this? Perfect indoctrination techniques. Exactly. Isolation. Exactly. And then I love how you mentioned earlier about the fence. You're within this fence and you can't move. With And when we were back and where we live in town where they make you the few friends you have outside the ministry they make you isolate them Mm. they make you remove yourself from them so those few connections you do have away from home away from your family you no longer have because if you're not a part of the kingdom of god if you're not part of his people then you don't want nothing to do with anybody else you don't want to hang out with your friends who aren't disciples because they're bad influence on you because they're people of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I had to deal with that. Like I had a few, I had a couple of friends that I had made and slowly by the end of my first year being disciple, I realized 
I didn't have any. Like my, I had friends from high school that I didn't talk to anymore that I thought were going to be good friends of mine for the rest of my life. And they would talk to me. They reached out to me, saw how I was doing, but I was so wrapped up with the ministry thing that I forgot about them. That's just how busy they keep you and how they tell you people of the world are bad and you need to stay away from them if they're not interested in studying the Bible. And connections before you come into the group and then you turn around and like you said, all of your friends or all of the people that you have intimate friendships with are now people who are brand new, who know everything about you and you're totally cut off from your, who you were before and who your friends were before or even acquaintances. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's just crazy because then, like I said, roughly after the time of the retreat, I got baptized. I got baptized about a week or two after the retreat happened. Um, and then it was once I got, after I was baptized, and did counting the cost, which is a whole different thing with itself. Taking a test, to, it was like I heard today, me and my girlfriend were talking about it. It's like you're taking a test to see if you're worthy enough to be loved by God, mm. which is wrong. I find I found that counting the cost to be one of the this. Now that I look back on it. And even at the end of my time there, to be one of the scariest studies, it was like being in a horror movie. Yes, some of the some of the situations that were posed to you and the things that you had to agree to. I don't know what yours was like, so I'm not going to insert. Maybe I'll, I'll share later. But it just revealed to us what that counting the cost. What are some of the questions or some of the scenarios that were posed to you that that did you feel the same that were like, oh, I've seen this in a horror movie, but. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, it, I look back and a bunch of it is a blur. Like that whole night is a blur of when I got baptized. Cause I counted the cost, went to midweek and then got baptized in the same night mm -hmm. in the freezing cold. It was in October, literally October 30th. It was freezing cold. Um, but I remember counting the cost. I'm sitting there on my minister's couch in her office. It's me, my minister, and the girls who studied the Bible with me all staring at me. And I'm just sitting there like, like I'm ready for an interview or something. Like I'm prepping for like the biggest interview of my life. Right. And they're asking me questions like, okay, if it comes down between like you and your family and the kingdom of God, who are you picking? Yeah. That's horror movie material. Yes. I'm like, well, the kingdom of God, because that is what I was groomed to say. Exactly. And then when it came to my sexuality, we barely touched on my sexuality. And I honestly believe that's because they just wanted me to get in the water so fast. Um, but it was like, you understand that being homosexual is a sin. Yes. Okay. Move on. But everything was set up like, you know, like you have to deal with forgiveness for the rest of your life and you can't 
and you can't deal with resentment. So you have to forgive the person who assaulted you and you can't have any resentment towards them. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, okay, I agree to that. Now I look back, I'm like, I was a clueless 18 year old and now I'm a more mature individual and you're telling me to agree to something who, to a person who wasn't healed. I was not healed from the trauma I endeared as a child. And you had me agreeing to something that was, I was not ready to agree to. I knew nothing about. It was traumatic. Like, and then they start bringing in like apocalyptic. Apocalyptic, yeah. Tell us about that. And in the world scenarios, they're like, um, well, like, when if talking about like the end of like if the end of the world came tomorrow, and w- do you believe that your soul is ready for heaven? Like, if all the people around you were gonna die, do you believe that you're ready? And I'm sitting here like, what kind of question is that? Like, I thought I was just trying to get baptized, like dunked and done, but you're asking me if the world comes like brimstone and fire tomorrow. If I was taken aback, like, okay. And, and you're, then, tra- you're trapped in this room with these people and they're giving you end time scenarios. Very scary. What do you, you know, that's, it's the perfect emotional um, um, coercion because in that mm-hmm. moment, who is, who is clear enough to say, wait a minute, hold on. Because it's so, much pressure. Yes. Goodness. Like all eyes are on me. Like, who are you going to say the right thing or not? Mm. And that's what it felt like. I was like sitting there for an interview. Felt like everyone's staring at me to say the right thing. It did not feel like I'm saying these things because I wanted to. I'm not, I didn't feel like I was, like I was saying these things because I believed what I was saying was true. I felt like I was saying these things because I was pressured into saying it in order to get quote unquote in their terms, get into heaven because that is what they told me was right and wrong. Not because I believed in it. It is because it was what I was groomed into saying. And it was like, I said, what it was honestly one of the most stressful moments of my life it was very scary it was very stressful i was i was in those i i was eventually trained to do those did you get the same um i don't know if they do it now ever get the the one where they 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 actually you know put their hand you know like a gun and say if someone did you did you ever get tell the audience about that okay so they they put their hand in the shape of a gun and pointed it at you. They pointed it at me because I was, the way I was sitting was across. It was like, I was literally sitting for an interview, like across the table from um, my minister at the time. And she was like, if somebody was sitting there pointing a gun at you or pointing it at your head and asked you, do you believe in God? And do you give your life to God? Like, would you die for God? What would you say? And then like, and you were expected to say yes, like if you were to be murdered in that moment and like say, I am a Christian, I believe in God, would you die for him? 
And I'm sitting there like, yeah, totally. I'll totally get shot <laughs> straight in the head. And I'm over here like, I was so, it was pressured. I would, was not, I was not prepared for this. I was not prepared for the questions I was going to get asked. I was not prepared to get put in a scenario like someone's going to hold a gun to my head and ask me if someone came up to me, held a gun to my head and asked me if I believed in God, am I a Christian? And will I die saying I believe in God? I was not prepared for that. An emotional right now because I remember saying those words to people and being mortified that it was coming out of my mouth. Um, and just the effect of it, it glued you there. It made you want to stay because at that point you felt like, well, maybe this is the only place that I'm safe. And this is the only place that's the truth, no matter how cruel they become to me. Exactly. And then from there, I get, like I said, I passed the test, went to midweek. They baptized me and it was 28 degrees outside. I thought mm. when they put me under the water, I, all the breath left my body because I can, it was so cold. You were outside when they did this? Yes. I was outside in a pool at the apartment complex that my ministers lived in. And they dunked me. And I thought I was about to be drowned because they held me under the water so long. And all the breath left my body because it was so cold. And I came back up and they're like, that was the Holy Spirit leaving your body. That's why you couldn't breathe. I'm what? like, it's because it's 28 degrees outside and I'm out here getting put into water. Oh my gosh. So you're, I mean, 28 degrees, that's below freezing. So you're talking about almost shock. Yes. I was 18 years old. 18. Oh my gosh. My parents, and that was the first time my parents ever, like, saw any of, like, heard any of the, like, stuff I went through with this because they watched my baptism. And that was when, like, their red flags started going off. And at this point, I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, this is what they're, like, I'm safe, you know. And they were in disagreement. And I, I wish I should have listened to them more, but. I have my experiences and it's just, and once you get baptized, you get thrown straight into it. So I got mm. baptized on October 30th on November 1st. I got sat down with one of our leaders and she told me about this girl who was studying the Bible who struggled with forgiveness the way I did because she was sexually assaulted and I needed to go talk to her and help her get baptized. Oh I needed gosh. to talk to her about forgiveness I was baptized for two days, not even two days. And that is how it started off. And they were, go talk to her about how you learned to forgive, how you got your heart to that place, how you overcame that struggle of yours. How did that make you feel? It made me feel dirty almost. Like it made me, like it made me feel nasty. And like I said, at this point, like, I feel like 
I felt like, like I was manic almost. Like my mental health state was like in a very manic place. And I just was like, I didn't want to talk to her. I was like, I don't know what to say to this chick. Like, I don't know. Like, I had no idea what to tell her. What did you, what did you tell her? Did you do it? Yeah. I remember like we went and grabbed lunch and we went to her dorm room and I was like, Hey, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like I heard from the people you're studying the Bible with that you're struggling with forgiveness. Um, I, I did too. Like I still do. Um, and she was like, she was like, Oh, like, why did you study with forgiveness? Like struggle with it. And I felt like obligated to tell her like my story. And I was like, so I like, I did. And she, we just like, she like told me, she's like, yeah, she's like, I really don't know. And like, I just told her, I was like, honestly, like, it's hard, but this is what God wants you to do. It was like somebody like possessed me and like took over my body. And I was like, this is what God calls us to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. Like he wants us to learn to forgive people the way he forgave, because if he's able to do it, then we are too. And so then, within, so within two days, you were becoming I was, a. Um, I was walking the walk. <laughs> oh my goodness! I was walking the walk, and then shortly after that, they started training me to do Bible studies because, in their words, in my minister's words, we don't have girls like you in this ministry. We don't have girls who have lived such a hard life as you, who have overcome so much. So we need someone like you who can lead Bible studies and convert girls' hearts to become one with the Lord's. So you want to take my trauma. You want to teach me how to lead Bible studies so you can take my trauma and give it to other people so you can convert them into being the Christian you want them to be. Okay. That's what I see it as now. That's not what I saw it as then. As then I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I will totally do that. Um, oh and I goodness. did it. I learned the Bible studies and I was jumped into doing them. And I got pulled into Bible studies with these girls who had similar traumatic backgrounds as me, who had crappy moms, who, who had a hard like childhood who were sexually assaulted and I was expected to be like this mortar for them and like oh if Macy can do it you can too you were expected to be like their counselor what we did is we yeah. did we did therapy and counseling on people without yeah. licenses and we hurt people exactly. we and, I had, and I had a social work and I went to I was going to school for social work and so they use that too. And that's honestly what got me to see a lot of things is once I started studying social work as deeply as I did, I was like, okay, okay, let's take a step back here. I was like, this is wrong. Wow. So what did, what was, what effect being in this group had on you tonight, had on you? Oh, so much like, okay. My mental health went through 
some of the worst places it ever it ever went. Um, definitely last year. Last year was one of the hardest years of my life. Mm. Around this time, literally exactly a year ago. Um, and it was so back in right before the pandemic is when all my red flags started going off like this. That's when everything like my it felt like all my blind like everything. Not that I was blinded. I remember having a conversation shortly after I got baptized with one of my really good friends now who's who has also left the ICOC. Um, we had a conversation uh, about the ICOC being cold. But we neither we just joked about it. It was just like a joking conversation. Um, but right when the pandemic started, that's when I started doing some like self work on myself, and I was like, okay, I'm a lesbian, struggles with mental health, and I don't think this is the place for me. Like, we have a really toxic dating culture. Exactly. A very toxic dating culture. We don't talk about. A, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> that was a big thing for me back then. That still is now. Um, we you support, could, we you couldn't be any. You couldn't be anything but a disciple. Yeah. So I there was no. I got in trouble for telling a, a brother that he supported rape culture because he said girls say no too much when it comes to boundaries. And if he wants to hug a girl and have a conversation with a girl, and if it makes her uncomfortable, he's going to have it. And I told him that is the beginning steps into supporting rape culture. And I got rebuked for saying that. Um, but I was having all these conversations like this, asking questions about like the LGBTQ community and what does the Bible really say about that? Asking more questions about mental health and how as we as disciples can make mental health in the church better because a lot of my friends were struggling with mental health and it was killing me to see them struggle um so like i said that happened that was all happening right at the start of the pandemic and this is when i was being labeled as um reckless as i say with my relationship with god um and I was actually being trained to be in leadership at this time. And they, in August, they stopped training me to be in leadership because mm -hmm. I was asking too many questions and I was being too rebellious. And so, and then at this point, I'm in August, I was my, I was done. I was done with everything. I, my mental health is not doing well because I feel trapped. I don't know where to go. I have no friends outside of the ICOC. My family doesn't support me being in the ICOC. I don't, this is my life. This is all my life has been for two years. I don't know where to go from here. Um, I was, and then I made a plan. I said, I'm going to leave by the end of the year. I'm going to rekindle relationships with old friends of mine. Um, and I'm going to get out of here. I even told my roommate, I was rooming with a girl who was a disciple and I told her, I was like, listen, like, I don't think I can stay. And she was very supportive. Like she, she was a very supportive person, um, during all of this. And then 
I was talking about it in one of my classes. I was taking one of my social work classes and I met this girl and she was like, oh, I want to like, she said, like, I've heard of the Alpha Omega, blah, blah, blah. And she wanted to do a Bible study. And I was like, well, you can come out to like one of our Bible talks and everything. Well, she started studying the Bible and she went through it and I got pulled into her Bible studies. And I was like, I'm just going to leave at the end of the year. I'm going to leave peacefully and quietly, but I'm going to play the part until I leave type thing. Right. I joined her Bible studies um, and she's a lesbian and she was more upfront about being gay than I was when I was studying the Bible. And like I said, when I first studied the Bible, I identified as bisexual and I did some work on myself and I realized, no, I do not like men. I'm a lesbian. Um, and so we were doing her Bible studies and this it was the real kicker for me. This is what made me mad and start doing a lot of work and really question and do a lot of que- like asking around the ICOC all from here in Texas to Oregon, asking questions, talking to people was the gatekeeping. Right. Was held. Um, they would not let her get baptized because she was gay and could not say, because she struggled with, she grew up religious and I feel comfortable sharing more of her story because lo and behold, she's now my girlfriend, <laughs> this girl that I was studying the Bible with. Um, she's now my girlfriend. Um, but they would not let her get baptized because she cannot say that I am comfortable with one day marrying a man and I am comfortable telling other people that being gay is a sin. She, but what she was comfortable with saying at the time was, I don't know, but I am okay with studying it out for the rest of my life. And they refused to let her get baptized for it until she could say, honestly, with her whole heart, that she could one day be okay marrying a man and that she can tell other people that being gay is a sin. And that is what just, that was the nail in the coffin for me because I was like, that is gatekeeping. And I talked to the ministers and they were telling me that I was crazy, that I had no room to talk, that I needed to reevaluate my relationship with God because I wasn't being a good disciple and good disciples don't go to heaven. They go to hell um, I need to follow the path of God and it made my mental health. There's just so many horrible things like that, that they were saying to me. And it made my mental health go straight down the drain to the point where I wanted to kill myself. Oh my God. I remember having a conversation with my minister on my best friend's balcony and her literally telling me, like making me feel crazy. Like, Oh, like, you're, you're interpreting this wrong. And at this point, I've read the Bible like over, like at this point, I've read it like one and a half times. I've read it all once. I'm on my way to reading it a second time. Um, 
And so she's like, you're just interpreting wrong. You're not listening to God. You're not being a good disciple. We need to study this out. Your heart's not in the right place. You're sinning. You're just living a life full of sin. You're listening to the devil. Uh, you're letting Satan take control of you. Um, all this stuff. And then right after that, I had a Bible study. And I had Bible talk. And then everything hit me that was just set in the conversation on the balcony. And my mental health, I felt like I was hit by a semi-truck. And I knew if I drove home that night, there, there was a chance I would not make it home. Oh, my gosh. And so my best friend took my keys, and I stayed at her apartment for four days. Were you were you despondent? Were you Do you feel like that you suicide was something you were contemplating? I was. I felt in that moment that I was crazy, that I would rather die than be tempted by sin. I would rather die knowing I was a good Christian and go to heaven because I wasn't tempted by homosexuality than be felt like I was psychotic and being tempted by sin and questioning all these things. And so then my best friend talked to me and we had, and then I was, I saw, I was talking to my therapist all weekend long, literally saw her her like three, four times in that weekend. Um, And that's when it clicked to me. I was like, I have to leave and I have to not really make a scene when I leave, but I need to talk to people because what is happening here is wrong because by this point there's multiple people who have come out to me in the ministry as LGBTQ um multiple people struggling with mental health um are the lessons that we were being told were that we weren't being good disciples because we're not baptizing enough people that we Mm -hmm. need to be fearful that um we are being too much of the world that we are not being it was just it was all negativity nothing was being preached positively um and all my friends were in a place where they were hurting this person that i've grown deeply to care for in her bible studies is being told she can't be baptized because basically she's gay um and i was done with it i was done and So my mental health is still not doing well, but I knew that I had to do something. So slowly, some of my friends I were talking to, I asked them, I was like, I started doing more research. All the research I have been doing for months about LGBTQ, I started giving to my friends who were also questioning what the Bible was saying and all this different information. Um, We made a plan at that time to baptize the girl who wanted the girl that was studying the Bible, who I'm now dating um, because she wanted to be baptized. She lived the life of a Christian and there's no reason. And excuse me. There's no reason why she shouldn't have been baptized. The gatekeeping was not the option. Um, and I think that's what clicked in my head was the gatekeep like, that was the final straw and I felt responsible because I stopped so many other people from get like feeling like they were worthy of God in the kingdom of heaven. I was, I was a part of the gatekeeping. And I think that is what 
kind of broke me a little bit into wanting to make the change that I did in that ministry. Um, and it was an uphill, down, like uphill, downhill battle every day fighting for, for me to just keep my sanity. Um, all my friends were wondering like, what the heck is going on? Like they are so unhappy with the ministry. They're wondering what's going to happen. And at this time, my ministers, they're on vacation. And when they came back, we sat down and had a conversation. And I told her, I wanted to just tell her, I sat down with her and I told her, I was like, I'm leaving. Well, first off, she invited in a mediator into our conversation without my consent, which made me very mad. I was like, you're going to invite somebody into this conversation without me consenting to it. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> that is such a violation of privacy. No one ever asks. It's like yeah. these people show up. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it made me mad. Um, it made you, it made you, it made you mad. It sounds like you were violated. I was because I was, because I was ready to just have a peaceful out, like going, just tell this woman the reasons I was leaving and go, but it felt like she was confronting me and she was ready to like have this in-depth conversation that I was not, I was not going to have with her. And of course we all know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I was there. that we were going to paint the most disgusting, disastrous end. I mean, when I left, I thought I was going to be struck by lightning. I thought that I would turn in. Any morality, humanity, or salvation without this group. Oh, yes. Exactly. I... I was ready to leave and just know that I was walking to a world that I was no longer familiar with. That I, at this point, had barely any friends. I was ready to be, like, at this point, I'm like, okay, like, I'm like, I feel like the biggest sinner out there. Like, I'm this humongous sinner. I'm this gay woman who is in love with this other woman. Um, who's leaving this church. I've honestly, at this point, done some pretty serious damage like by having these conversations without the ministers because that was a big thing too. Like if you're going to have a serious conversation about anything, they had to be present for it. Like they wanted the leadership had to be present for serious conversations so they could monitor it to make sure what you were saying was correct. And they made that very clear in our discipleship meetings and like our, our discipler times. Right. And it was also because you weren't trusted to be your own. You weren't trusted or respected to be your own person and have your own opinion. Exactly. And if you did not have the same mindset as the whole, then you have the wrong mindset. 
if you thought differently than everybody else, then you were in the wrong. And so I was in the wrong most of the time. <laughs> um, but the day I finally had the conversation with her, she brought a mediator in and I started off very calmly. I, I stayed calm the whole time, told her I'm leaving. I'm leaving because of I did not agree with the dating culture. I did not agree with how the lessons have gotten. I did not agree with how the culture has gotten. I did not agree with this. It just was not the place for me to be anymore. It was not healthy. My mental health has been struggling um, and I could not take it. And then it turned into her telling me that I was in the wrong, that I have divided her ministry against her, um, that I basically had become the devil. Wow. Um, that I had like dreamt all of this up and I was spreading gossip and lies and that I had been, uh, Satan had taken a hold of me and pulled me so far away from God that there was no way to get me back. Oh my. And it was just a constant spray of that and just throwing in my face of how I was going to be this great leader. I was going to be this great influence to girls and convert so many girls' hearts into Christianity and how I just let Satan and my desires and my descent just grab me and just pull me away from uh, God and how I let the world just consume me and how now I'm a person of the world. And I'm not a person of the Lord. <laughs> and I can't even imagine how that oh, must have felt. Oh, it was, um, I was so, like I said, I tried to be so calm and like as little emotion as possible. I did good until she brought up the girl we were studying with and she threw it in my face and she was like, and she is not a disciple. She will never be a disciple because she is gay. And that is when I I started crying. And I just broke down crying because I was so engulfed by rage. Because this person who's sitting across from me, this person I had grown to love over the past few years, is now this person and all I can see is disgust. Because she look, she's looking at me like I'm this horrible, hideous, ugly person. Like, and she is telling me all these horrible things about myself. This, it's it's so painful to hear you talk about this, and and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to let you know that this was not right. And that this was abusive. This was spiritual abuse. And it violated you in every. Tell me it's different. It's different. I don't hear anything different than what went on since 1979. Yeah, I don't believe it's different. I thought it was just the region that I was in, 
that maybe our region was just different and that we just had a toxic region, that our leadership was just abusive and that our leadership was just misguided and power hungry. And then I started talking to all these other people, all these other people who have been so hurt and abused. And I realized it's not just this region. Mm-mm. Everywhere. It's all across the world. It, it blows my mind how people in Texas like rave and go on about all these churches that they planted in South Africa and how they did all this great work. And there's so many people in South Africa who've been so hurt by these churches that have left. And I'm like, what would you say now if you knew these stories, you know? Because like the leadership trained the leaders there. And it just blows my mind. And then even after I left Stacy, it was crazy. So after I left for three months straight, every midweek and Friday night lesson they had was about me. No. Yes. And they had, so I still had friends left who were slowly weaving their way out of the ICOC and leaving the ministry. Um, So that, at first, when I first left, they had a leaders meeting about me. They sat down the leaders, the female leaders, um, and two of the male leaders, and they all gave them a book about how homosexuality is a sin, and they told them that they need to read the book, and if they don't come to the same conclusion by the end of the book, they need to step down from leadership. Um, so they lost a lot of leaders by that because several of them did not agree with them. And they told everybody that they needed to tell the people that they were discipling to stay away from me because I'm a sheep and wolf. I'm going to, I am a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I was a demon that came into their ministry meant to rip it apart by the devil. Oh my gosh. And then they had lessons about me, how I was a devil in their ministry how I was the devil himself who came to spread gossip and lies about the leadership and the leaders and uh, was meant to rip them apart and stray them away from God. And how my uh, mindset and how what I believed in and all the questions I was asking and every all the conversations I had were all meant for that. For three months, they had lessons like that. I can't even who said that they loved you and who do this to you. It's cruel and I'm I'm not surprised to hear it, but I'm very disappointed to hear that happen to you. Yes. I was more like what happened. Like we barely scratched the surface of what happened to me during my time in the ICOC as a disciple. And I'm more disappointed by the way they reacted to when I left than what I am, than how I uh, filled to what I was a part of it. Like the, how they, spread hate upon my name to these people, to my friends, 
to people who didn't even know anything about the situation that was going on, to people who were clueless about anything that had to go on with me. It just blew my mind because these people that I would come across in passing that would ask me about my day, who I was friends with on Facebook, who are now like saw me as this evil person who was set out to like destroy the world. Like I was the antichrist or something. Wow. Well, I think that I don't often ask people to come back, but I think, I think we might have to do a, um, a part two um, with you because again, I've heard so many people tell me that, oh no, the ICOC is not the same as it used to be. And Oh, no, I 100% agree. Like, I have listened. So I, I'm from Texas. But I one day listened to a sermon preached by one of Kevin's, I think he's his sister-in-law, telling about how the ICOC has changed and all this stuff. And, like, how it's just, like, this brand new ministry, and it's great. Like, it has not changed a single bit. <laughs> It is the same ministry that it once was. It is the same. It has not changed. It is still power hungry. And cruel. So cruel. It is hunting for, that all it cares about is numbers, who's baptizing the most people, who is in the most Bible studies, who can get the most people out here, who who is living the most fake life possible to look like the best disciple, mm. who's presentable whose life is picture perfect um and it is painful it like i said i i I don't i hate to say luckily but most of my friends who are in the icoc have left and i'm i'm glad that they have i'm gonna have to 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 end it here but macy you are a beautiful and um, I would love to talk to you again um, because I'd like to give our listeners some, um, maybe even have like a live show. Of course, I would love to do that with you. Today that the ICLC is still the same and they're still using these same t- tactics. And I would love to just kind of get some more people coming in on the conversation um, and, and kind of in, in enlightening um, what's going on, because this is harming people's mental health. It's harming their spiritual health. It's separating families. Um, and um, at one point, they were the fastest growing up. No, I would love to come back. Great. Um, I would love to come back. And I've done so much. As Like I said, I'm a social worker. And my particular interest is in clinical social work. So I know so much about the mind and how the mind adapts and how mental health is so critical and how like spiritual, how if your spirituality harms you, the work that it does on not just your mind, but your body. Um, and I've done so much in research through my studies as a social worker about manipulation tactics and how that impacts a person. 
Wow. And that's what the ICOC has done since the beginning. That has been created since the 1970s when, when it was created all the way to 2021 to now. It is using the same manipulation tactics. Um, they might just have a couple of different names and techniques that they're using. That is so true. Well, I look forward to us reconvening convening and talking about this and um and seeing, you know, hearing from some other people what's going on um, in the in the here and now. You're, you're probably the person that I've talked to who's like kind of been the closest to the recent day. Most of the people I've been talking to, like, oh, they've been out like, you know, 10, 20 years like me. You're one of the first people I've talked to who've been out like just a couple years. And so I'd love to to um, be able to talk again um, and get some people who are more recent, who've left and talk about how we can um, spot these things and get get some healing and help. But Macy, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Okay. And I'm glad you left and blessings and love to you and your girlfriend um, in, you so in your life as you continue to heal. Thank you so much. Just message me when you want me back. <laughs> Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.